Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Daybreak, the show where fun ideas and occupations come to life. We're your hosts, Bryn Campbell and Pippa Schrader, and today we'll share an inspirational quote, interview Matt Reitz, Executive Director of the Madison Audubon Society, and then after the announcement break, we will end this episode with an interesting tale of some bug butter. Now, let's get on with the show. Now it's time for a weekly quote to inspire you and get you thinking. This week's quote is from Henry Van Dyke, a poet. He said, use what talents you possess. The woods would be very silent if no birds sang except those that sang best. That quote really got me thinking. I wonder what message the poet was trying to get out into the world. Keep thinking as we listen to our interview. I recently sat down with Matt Reitz, the executive director of the Madison Audubon Society. Let's hear what he has to say about his occupation. Hi, Matt. Hi. So, what does the Madison Audubon Society do? What are your missions? Well, I we have an official mission which goes, uh, we work to protect and improve habitat for birds and other wildlife through land acquisition and management education and advocacy. Mm-hmm. That's our official mission, but really what we do is we really protect and celebrate birds and their habitats. We really think that birds are awesome. I say it all the time, and I think it's absolutely true. Birds are really yeah. important, and the habitats that they have are really important, and they bring a lot of joy to our lives, and they bring a lot of meaning to our lives, mm-hmm. and they also are doing really important things for people that I think people don't even realize. Yeah. When we're protecting birds and their habitats, we're also protecting a lot of different um, services that we all enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I have heard you went on many cool tricks, trips to study birds and beyond. What was that like? Oh my gosh, it was so awesome. Mm-hmm. It was such a pleasure in my career and to be able to go and experience a lot of different places and birds and nature and habitat, uh, it's so fun. Um, it, being out in the field is also very hard work, but it's so rewarding. But I got to go to all sorts of different places, like uh, I've been to Australia to do field work, and yeah. I've been to the Caribbean to do field work, and I did a lot of research in uh, southern Chile, which was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a great opportunity to not only get to know different cultures and experiences, but the, the different critters and animals and, and mm-hmm. wildlife that's there is just fabulous. And yeah. I just enjoy it. it the, one of the best parts of being an ecologist is the ability to experience different places. Mm-hmm. And I also say that I also say that I've gotten to do lots of great field work here in the United States too. That would, you know, including going out to catch alligators and wow. and working with turkey vultures and parrots and, and so it's been really great. Mm-hmm. Describe your work with butterflies. How do you tag one? Oh my gosh, butterflies are the best. <laughs> uh, if you ever find somebody and they say, oh, I don't like butterflies, <laughs> I don't know about that person because everybody likes butterflies. 
member of different organizations that work to protect monarchs, and we also uh, have habitat at our wildlife sanctuaries that is that is bursting with monarch butterflies because mm-hmm. um, it's got a lot of pollinator and milkweed species that they really need, and yeah. we encourage people to have monarchs at their homes by by planting habitat. And then the way that you talked about is this monarch tagging project that we do mm-hmm. in in collaboration with a big project out of the out of the, believe it's Kansas State University called Project Monarch Watch. Mm-hmm. And so anybody, including Madison Audubon or, or or anybody who's interested can get involved in Project Monarch Watch. Mm-hmm. And it basically is it is a tracking monarch butterflies by catching them safely at a certain time of year and then we put little tiny stickers with a little unique number on each butterfly. Yeah. And then that helps us to identify it so as it heads south to their winter grounds in Mexico. So we do the tagging at the end of the summer and into the early fall when butterflies are getting ready to migrate. And so we put that little unique sticker tag on them, and this helps track their migration patterns and mm-hmm. learn a lot their, about their population changes and more. And it's super fun to go out and catch monarch butterflies. Yeah. We do it very safely with some netting. We give every, We actually have events out there. We bring people of all ages. Mm-hmm. From we've had kids as young as two and three years old, and wow. we've had kids as old as in their eighties. <laughs> help to uh, uh, tag butterflies and catch butterflies. We get them in the hand. One thing that's really cool about monarch butterflies is that they're pretty hardy. They're pretty sturdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some other butterflies, if you get them in your fingers. They, they lose the scale that they're on their um, wings, yeah. so that can be a problem. But monarchs don't have that problem. So you can you can grasp them very, the very um, appropriately by their wings, and then you can take this little tiny sticker. It's sort of like the size of a, the end of a pencil eraser, and it has mm-hmm. a little tiny number on it, and you stick it right in the on the outside of their wing. Yeah. That uh, is right towards the center of their gravity, so it doesn't affect them, and then it stays on there, and it stays on there for the rest of their life. Wow. How do you? Yeah. (laughs) How do you educate the public in your field? Well, there's a lot of different ways that we do this. We we do education classes for adults. If they're interested in learning how to bird, or if they want to, if they want to enjoy some time drawing, doing some art, or if they want to learn how to identify birds by song, mm-hmm. we also do public public events where people can come out and hear a speaker talk about a really cool topic, like Wisconsin bats or frogs, or not just birds, but uh, or habitat. Um, we just had one, uh, or snowy owls, for example. So. There's uh, lots, of people, lots of ways to um, enjoy public talks. We also do in-class education programs for young kids in middle mm-hmm. school and in elementary school, particularly in Madison. We've got a program that uh, brings that visits kids repeatedly in the same place, and they can learn about nature and science, and that's in uh, schools and community centers in Madison. So we're trying to find lots of different ways to help people learn and enjoy nature. So mm-hmm. um, there's, there's basically something for everybody. And then a, there's a, also a summer camp that's happening right now for kids that's 
online, it's virtual summer camp, and it's led by our awesome director of education, Carolyn. So there, uh, you can actually, there people, kids can sign up, take summer camp, and learn about birds and squirrels and mammals and mm-hmm. and trees and everything else. So that summer camp cool. happening now and uh, also into July. Yeah. Um, who or what inspired you to choose this job? Oh, that's a great question. Um, ultimately, it was my mom. My mom got me interested mm-hmm. in birds. I didn't realize it. When I was a kid, my mom was at a backyard bird feeder, and she used yeah. to watch the birds, and she was really, really excited about a new bird that would come to her feeder, and mm-hmm. I would, you know, I would actually make fun of her when she got really excited about a Baltimore yeah. Oriole or something. I'm like, oh, what are you so excited about? <laughs> But then I realized that what she was watching was pretty neat. And I didn't realize it until later that I really cared about birds, too. And so mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to, when I was in college, I took a course called Ornithology, which is the study of birds. And they, they asked if anybody was interested in a summer job. And I wanted to do it. So I, I spent a, a job working on a bird research project. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got my start. Awesome. Um, what was the journey you had to take in order to get this job? Well, this is the best job. I love my job. It's <laughs> great. I get to meet really cool people like you and members and, and people who care about natural resources and birds and everything else. Yeah. I love my job. Uh, I didn't really start out going to work for a nonprofit. I started out trying to be a researcher. And mm-hmm. I went and I got a degree in college and then I went to graduate school and got advanced degrees and a master's degree and a PhD and I thought mm-hmm. I wanted to be an academic I thought I wanted to be a professor and uh turns out I didn't yeah. I like doing this more so I I changed my career because I it made me much more happy and it made me feel like I was making a bigger difference so mm-hmm. my track was not direct but it was wonderful so you don't have to get yeah. a PhD to do my job <laughs> you just have to be someone who cares a lot about birds. Yeah. What is your current favorite bird? Oh my gosh, this is an impossible question. <laughs> They're all my favorite birds. Uh, let me think. I have two that come to mind. One is a bird that nobody likes, but I like it. It's called a brown-headed cowbird. It's a bird that lays its eggs in other bird nests, and it makes hmm. them, the parents raise their, their kids. A lot of people don't like it because of that, but I think it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, the other bird is called a black-throated wet-wet. It's not here. It's in southern Chile. It's a it's a pretty big bird. It's probably mm, maybe half the size of a chicken, and it, like, it has big feet, and it digs its feet in the ground. It's called a wet-wet because it goes like this. What, 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 what? <laughs> Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Um, have you ever had to make a hard decision in the field? I think field work is naturally difficult because yeah. you are set up a project and uh, or you set up a, a, an idea for what you want to do in the field and, and nature doesn't cooperate. It, it, it changes things and mm-hmm. so you have to be very adaptable. So a lot of, you have to make a lot of hard decisions when you're yeah. and to, to evolve and adapt your, your what you're trying to do. So uh, 
think it's I think you have to make hard decisions all the time in the field to do what's mm-hmm. best for for what your your objectives are. And usually they play out well if you're being very thoughtful or if you're considering what other people's opinions are on the yeah. matter. So yeah, I mm-hmm. think it's a it kind of happens all the time. Yeah. How has your job changed due to COVID nineteen? Hmm. Well, uh, the birds and habitat that they need and wildlife don't care at all about COVID nineteen. Yeah. And they have done just fine mm-hmm. while we have struggled. So our job has changed in that we have changed the way we have to do our work. Mm-hmm. We're we're working remotely, and we're able to do that as much as possible and a lot of our education programming and other content that we used to do in person has gone virtual a lot of that stuff you can find on our Facebook page and on our website Um, and we do some of our we do a lot of restoration work where we we take habitat which we restore native habitat some of that work is still going on as uh, as much as safely as possible but one of the things that the, the pandemic has emphasized is the importance for people of nature and birds. The mm-hmm. amount of people who are interested, who went out and got bird feeders and watched birds, yeah. decided to plant native plants in their yard, or have been visiting natural places to go hiking and enjoy nature, it's just skyrocketed, which is a really wonderful mm-hmm. thing. So it's a great way for people to kind of make a, um, the best of this situation. Yeah. Um, have you ever had to help rescue an animal? Yeah, absolutely. Um, wildlife has, runs into problems a lot of times, sometimes because of the things that humans do. Like the window, they, wildlife crashes into windows, and or yeah. outdoor cats sometimes get, get birds, and, and young birds especially. Um, so I've had to absolutely rescue animals on the job. I've had to, there's a birds that fall out of nests or are really young and need help, mm-hmm. we take them sometimes to a rescue facility, like uh, Dane County has a great, the Dane County Humane Society has a great wildlife mm-hmm. center here that does really great work. Um, but it's really, um, it's amazing to have a bird or other animal in your hand or, or close by and to be mm-hmm. able to help it. Yeah. So if you find, so I want to emphasize to your listeners that if they happen to find an injured bird or an animal uh, or a baby bird that's out of the nest, um, there are things that you sh- you can do to help. Mm-hmm. So yeah. first is to make sure that it isn't that is an injured bird or it is a baby bird that needs our help. A lot of baby birds look like they need our help, but they're just baby birds who are kind of clueless. Yeah. They fly real well. They're, you know, maybe out in the open, but sometimes they're just, they're adults, their parents are around, and they're just learning. Mm-hmm. But if there are birds that need help, then it's good to call uh, professionals to help. Uh, there are resources yeah. on our webpage that show where you should go. We can't, we don't do direct rescue, but there are a lot of organizations that do. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really an amazing thing to do to be able to help an animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, would you recommend this job to other people? Yes. It <laughs> is awesome. Uh, you, I don't want anybody to take my job, though. I want it. <laughs> but uh, I would definitely recommend it. There are lots of ways uh, to be involved in conservation of natural resources, not just my job. But there are so many different ways to do it. There's field research jobs. We have a lot of people who work with us. 
you know, mm-hmm. outreach or Facebook, and they can get involved in our work. People who are educators, they can get involved in our work. People who like nature photography or just, yeah. you, know, you don't necessarily have to go to school uh, to be involved in conservation work. You really just have to care. So absolutely, it's a very hard job because there are lots of threats to conservation and to wildlife, mm-hmm. yeah. but it is a really fulfilling job because of the work that we do, I think makes a difference, and the people that we get to hang out with are awesome. Yeah. Um, for our last question, what is your definition of success? Wow, sounds like you're interviewing me for a job. <laughs> oh, um, that's a really, really good question. I think a definition of success is always going to change because things are always different when it comes to conservation but ultimately it's really about two things one is that we the first definition is that a success is that we're able to protect the habitat and the wildlife that need our help yeah and the second part of that is that we are also sharing the importance and the joy of birds wildlife and their habitat Mm-hmm. So that people really understand how important they are, how much joy and and benefit that they get from them, and so that yeah. they're taken care of and um, enjoyed in the future too. Yeah. Um. Well, thank you. That was an amazing interview. <laughs> thank you. It was an amazing <laughs> interviewer. Thanks to Bryn and Matt for that wonderful interview. When we get back from our break. We'll share a new story about some crazy butter made out of bugs. Hi, this is Pippa from the Daybreak Podcast, and I just want to talk to you guys a little bit about a company that me and my friends started late last year. It is called DNM Graphic Novel Library. This is how it works. So, off you go into our website, which is in a link in the show notes. Make sure to check that out you can click signing up and choose your subscription type, either standard, which is $8, or premium, which is $13. Fill out a quick form. Um, Of course, deposit your money for the month, and then you're done. So what you get with this subscription is that you can rent out like two every week of our hundred or more like graphic novels and magazines. They're all super good, and you can find something for every person. Maybe you've not heard of graphic novels before. Maybe you have. It's your your call, whatever kind of graphic novel you want. But you're only allowed to do two a week. Then, if you live in the Benjamin Row neighborhood, we will deliver a graphic novel to your door that you choose. And if you don't, then you can just come and pick it up at our home base. Also, if you come and sign up now, you get 15% off with a special code on our Facebook page that you can check out. Also, one more thing. Um, one graphic novel usually costs like $8. So this is a really good deal because you're getting like 16 graphic novels if you did two months for the price of two graphic novels, which is crazy. So make sure to check it out. If you've never heard of graphic novels, if you have, if you're really into them, this is the thing for you. Remember, it's in the show notes, and how you sign up is you click signing up on our website, and then you click standard or premium, and then you fill out the form. Thanks so much, and now back to the show. Hi, this is Pippa, back with your crazy news story of the week. 
A few months ago, scientists at Ghent University located in Belgium made their first batch of what was soon after lovingly christened as bug butter. Yes, you heard that right. Bug butter. Why was it called bug butter? Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. Instead of making regular butter, the scientists used black soldier fly larva fat as a more sustainable option than its equivalent, dairy produce. Here's a recipe, and since the scientists have studied this method rigorously, do not try this at home. Soak the larva in a bowl of water. Put it in a blender and stop when you have a smooth, grayish liquid. Put it into a centrifuge, a kind of machine that separates fluids of different densities, like milk and cream. And now you have insect butter. When people have to, were asked to tell the two different kinds of butter apart, people wouldn't taste a difference when the cake was only 25% larvae butter, but when it went down to a 50-50 situation, they could definitely tell, and most remarked that something tasted off. But this bug butter isn't just a substitution for the lactose intolerant. No. The butter is more sustainable because insects use less land than cattle and they're more efficient at, at converting feed. They also use less water to produce butter, Tazompa Salsa said in an interview with CBC. So, now that it's an environmentally friendly butter option is in the mix, do you think that you'll be going to the store to get some soldier fly larvae butter in the future? Are you one of those ones who would dare to eat a dish full of butter from creepy crawlies? One thing's for sure, this butter won't bug Mother Earth one bit. Literally. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Daybreak. We're your hosts, Pippa Schrader and Bryn Campbell. And this week we had help from John Schrader, our trusty editor, Bryn Campbell, my co-editor, producer, and host, and also to Matt Reitz, who was our awesome interview. And thanks to CBC for running that lovely story that we based ours off of today about bug butter. It's a little lovely, but it was a little gross at the same time. <laughs> and make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, give us a few stars. Review us. Tell someone about our show. Or, you know, do more than one of those things. It really helps us out. Thanks so much. And Pippa, signing off. Thank you.